Listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. It is 3 p.m. Stay tuned next for Cover to Cover Open Book. Welcome to Open Book, Friday's edition of Cover to Cover. I'm Amelia Gonzalez. There's an ancient Sufi story, When the Waters Were Changed, that recounts a time when Kered, the teacher of Moses, warned that all water that had not been specially hoarded would disappear. It would be renewed with different water, which would drive men mad. On the appointed date, the world dried up. There was a period of waiting, and when the waters came again, only one man heeded the call. Only one remembered the warning. That Sufi story is the inspiration to Ecstasy, a water fable. A new play commissioned to Bay Area theater artist Denmo Ibrahim and directed by Evren Otkin. This play has opened and is running at the Thick House in San Francisco through August 16th. Producer and host of Voices of the Middle East and North Africa, Malihera Sassan, was able to interview the director, Evren Otskin, about the play, Ecstasy, and started by asking about the Sufi fable, When the Waters Were Changed, the inspiration for the play. It's a Sufi fable. It's a uh, what they call a teaching fable. And the thing to know about Sufi fables is they're actually very different in terms of structure and also purpose than sort of the Western fables that a lot in of us... In what sense? Are. They're not about a lesson. There's no lesson that you get at the end of it. They're actually very much about the gray areas. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you hear the fable, you don't know who's right and who's wrong. And it's really about exploring that when you hear these fables that the teaching happens um, and that was actually really important to us where did you see this fable first well it was actually Terence who had this fable for years and was looking for a way to get it sort of turned into a theater piece uh, but was waiting for the right artist and Denmo Abraham who's the playwright really works physically and visually as well as um, as a playwright and Terence thought she would be the perfect person for it so um, there was we applied for a grant got it and then the work started and I was I got involved at that point in various different capacities and I'm directing the final version yeah and Terence Jorgerzerian is the artistic director of Golden Thread yes. Productions yes. for those of our listeners who don't know now let's go through 
through the story. Tell us what the fable is all about. Uh, the fable um, sort of starts with Qadir, um, who is a very interesting figure in Islamic folklore, actually, because there are four major prophets, of course. And Qadir is actually sort of above them in a way. He's um, known as the teacher of prophets. Um, he taught Moses, and he's very re- much related to his power is related to water. Um, and the specific fable is about when Qadir, the teacher of prophets, told humanity that one day waters were going to change and when everyone who drank the new water it was going to go mad and when this happened only one man listened to the warning to this omen um, and reserved his water so everyone else drank the water and went insane and he kept the faith and didn't drink the water and just only stuck to the water that he had kept but over decades of doing this, he got so lonely. Mm. Um, How he, was he treated by the Everyone people? else thought that he was mad. Mm. So, um, in a way, by keeping the faith, by um, isolating himself from his community, he had become the insane one. And at the end, he decides that he can't take this anymore and drinks the water to become insane and is accepted by his community all anew. Um, and that's sort of what I meant of when I mentioned that there isn't a lesson in it because it's actually not said in the fable if what he did before, keeping faithful to Kadir's warning, um, was a good thing or a bad thing or the decision he made at the end to drink the new water and go insane like the rest of his community and be happy and be accepted by them was a good thing or a bad thing. What themes in this story really resonated with you as a director Mm -hmm. for it to serve as an inspiration really to bring it on stage? What was so interesting about it was, um, of course, water in itself was incredibly interesting to us. Um, and the fact that this was a fable, this is a story. Um, the The first sentence of the play, as Demma wrote it, is... Um, where I come from, water, uh, the story comes, comes from, from mouth. mouth. Yeah. And in the way that we worked on this with Ensemble Generation, really the inspiration was as much about how the play would unfold as well as what the content would be. So the play is a story that's being told by a narrator who's forgetting everything. And you've said that the Middle East of my personal experience is a place of forgotten magic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the place where my way to school... I drank water every day from a 2,000-year-old fountain built for rituals, but never once stopped to think about the millions of ghosts that lived in that water. Here you're talking about memory. Yes, very much so. And the play is all about remembering, forgetting, and memory. And uh, especially for someone like myself, who was born in the Middle East, but I have been living in the U.S. I was born and raised in Turkey, but Mm -hmm. I moved here um, about 10, 11 years ago. And sort of how you keep the memories of your homeland alive and how much do you have to. And even if you forget about it, how much it still becomes a part of you. And the play really um, deals with that in a way that I haven't seen dealt with in a very poetic and beautiful way that to me feels very truthful. So what is that that memory that you're trying to keep? You know, I always say this. um, As a Middle Eastern artist, you're always given different Middle Eastern plays to work on. And um, I always divide them into two. And it's kind of funny. One is the war plays. And not to say both of these types of plays are very important. um, And they serve a very important function. But one is the war plays where the Middle East is a war-torn, very dark place. But it's not really, doesn't really speak to my experience of the Middle East of growing up there. As I said, uh, my experience has been that it's a forgotten 
forgotten magic and stories and laughter and love and community. And then the other one is sort of what I um, finally called the Baba Ganoush plays, which are sort of the, you know, plays that um, look at the Middle East as a very exotic place. A place where, you know, the, the very various versions of Arabian Nights, where it's all about flying carpets and belly dancing and exotic spices. And that, you know, is sort of a caricature of, you know, the Disney's version of Aladdin. It's and a, a pre-modern of, society. Exactly. And yeah. it's, a, it's sort of an interesting thing. So to me, this play has been really about trying to figure out what about the Middle East that I loved so much, which was the stories, which was the love, which was the community, and that sort of ancient understanding of where we come from and how that got passed from generation to generation so that you are living within the history, which is not something we have in the U.S. So, Efren, tell us about the plot of this play. Funnily, that's actually one of the more hardest questions because it's such a um, layered piece. But um, when it comes down to it, it's really, to me, about two women, one older and one younger, um, from the Middle East, trying to come to terms with their past in different ways. One of them is um, the younger woman has lost her connection to her past and is being haunted by it. And it's um, her story is about trying to face up to this fable and to her ancestors' stories. And the older woman is um, the last living person who remembers the story. And her story is about trying to tell it, although she's forgetting because of old age. And it's um, how those two stories, and of course the story of the fable, um, merge together to create a transformative experience for all three characters in the play. Yeah, and what's the third character? Uh, the, the third character the, is the pipe man, yeah. who's the man from the fable, um, who um, has heeded the warning of Kadir um, to not drink the new water and isolated himself and is trying to spend the whole play trying to unlock this message that he's receiving through the water and at the end um, has to realize that it's a futile effort and I don't want to give away too much of the ending of the play because the, there's a bit the, the way that they sort of merge together is very much sort of the big crux of the play but the pipe man says at one point in the play when Mona asks him do we know each other he says no and Mona asks are we we're not blood then and he goes no but we are related um, so in a way all three of them are from the same place and they share the same story, which is the most important thing according to this play. And it's really about now that they share the story, how they relate to it and how they can put it at peace is what the story of the play is. The play Ecstasy also explores the notion of how different generations relate to memory. Mm -hmm. um, the generational point that you brought up is very much a part of the play because two of the main characters of the play, one is an older Middle Eastern woman who was born and raised there and sort of came to the United States. Who's the narrator? Um, she's called the picture lady because she yeah. is surrounded by pictures and she constantly is telling stories of her family as well as this ancient fable um, that she's sharing with the audience, but she's forgetting. So the, her story sort of goes through that and then there's a younger woman, Mona, who uh, was born and raised in the United States who has forgotten about her history. Um, as well as her family and is being haunted by those stories in her nightmares so and it, the, the whole play really deals with the two women's journey and relationship to, to the story and how once the story gets told what effect it has on them so that they can move forward the thing that this play does so beautifully is Rather than trying to answer um, and simplify those conflicts and contradictions, it just states them and then lets you figure it yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. Um, because um, 
knowing the stories, political or not, um, is incredibly important. You, if you don't know where you're from, if you don't know your own story or your ancestors' stories, then you don't have anything to build upon. Everin, ecstasy can also be described as a play about the immigrant experience. Uh, and it's, but at the same time, what it says, which is really interesting, is that change has to happen because water will change. Water has changed throughout centuries, and the stories in this play are written in the water. It's another line from the play, which is why I find it so interesting to work on, because it doesn't, when someone forgets the story and moves forward and is happy, there's no judgment. There's sadness that the story is lost, but stories will be lost. And it's, it's that dichotomy of this play where, because the stories are so important, but at the same time, change wins and is as important as ancient stories that have to be held on to. So it's that dichotomy that the play has that is, I think, the most fertile thing about this fable as well as what the process we went through. Yeah. Why did you decide to name the play Ecstasy, a Waterfall and did not stick with the original title of the Sufi fable called When the Waters Were Changed? The whole play is about striving for something. And to us, it was really about striving for the state of ecstasy and if you take the of course the old definition of ecstasy with the trances and the Sufism it's the state of being closer to God or closer to a higher power that felt right for all of the characters in the play that's what they're looking for trying to reach another state where they're happy where there's joy um, and there is a sense of an older community where this state was possible and now it is not and trying to reclaim your story so that you can get back to that state. So um, it has gone through many, many permutations, the title, but um, we realize that really the simplicity of the title, Ecstasy, a water fable, which is very important, uh, was the right one. Because we weren't interested in just staging the fable, as interesting as that would be. Uh, we were trying to, one of the first things Demo said when we started with the ensemble was, how does this fable relate to now. It really, in the play, it plays out um, in the story of the younger woman who is being haunted by the fable and has to face it um, to be able to move forward and be happy in her life in the United States. And it's, that's really the way that um, that storyline really came out of all of our work with the ensemble of trying to figure out this beautiful fable with of such a not concrete message how does this speak to us today? And it's also important to say that the ensemble is a very eclectic group of people. I mean, we've, we have um, a few Middle Eastern artists. We have a Persian artist. We have someone who's, an, um, a Jewish fa who's from a Jewish family from Iraq. Um, we have um, an Egyptian actress playing the Mona, the younger Middle Eastern woman. But we also have a person who's half Hawaiian. We have a Turkish actor. We have um, someone who's from Polish Jewish parents. Um, so it's, uh, that was really important to us that we have a very mixed heritage group of people working on this show because as specific as it is to the Middle East, it's also about how do a group of artists from a mixed heritage in San Francisco right now relate to this fable and how that does that fable get told to an audience of mixed heritage from San Francisco right now.
That's the voice of Everett Otskin in conversation with Malihe Rasasan, and they're talking about the play he's directing, Ecstasy, a Water Fable, which is playing through August 16th at the Thick House in San Francisco. This is Open Book, Friday's edition of Cover to Cover. Stay with us. of uh, some of the people in your ensemble to this fable? Um, the fable itself has been very, very inspiring for everyone because it's so open. It's, you can make anything out of it. And it's, it's, that's the, exactly the kind of inspiration that you're looking for. Um, as far as the play in this final version, it, you know, we had so much stuff when we started. The mm -hmm. script was so dense and there was so much work that we did. I mean, the play is 70 minutes long, but um, yeah. it was about a week ago, it was 95 minutes long. So, um, you know, we've, we've excavated 25 minutes of material out of the play to get to what the core was. So it's been really about lifting layers and layers and layers of meaning with a group of people that are really open and ready to go for the journey. And it's been, in that way, it's been really satisfying because even now, as I'm watching the show, and I, I've been working on it for a year and a half, you would think I would ma have mastered it by now. On Sunday's performance, especially with the talkback we had with a group of experts, there were whole new layers of meaning that the experts talked about they saw in the play that I had no idea was there, but it was there. So what were some of those conversations? You know, um, someone talked about how, in a way, the cyclical nature of the play, the play doesn't move linear in linear logic or linear time. It jumps around. Yeah. It jumps yeah. from story to story. And it is very cyclical. It sort of, in a way, begins where it ended, except everything is different. That, that felt to them very... Um, non-Judua Christian or non-Islamic even because um, both of those religions really believes in a beginning, a middle and then there is an end. But when you think about what the inspiration was, it was a Sufi fable where there is a sort of cyclical nature, you know, whirling dervishes, etc. Um, to the way they view the world and also water, which is a completely fluid medium. And if your stories are written in the water, which is the fact of this play, how can your stories be linear? This is actually the cyclical, nonlinear way of storytelling is the only way the story could be told. And uh, when he said that, it was, although we were working in this um, way for so long, I had never really thought about how incredibly appropriate it was to the story we were telling that this is how it should be told. You kind of start taking things as a given. And um, when someone pointed out like that to you, what you've done, it's just an incredibly eye-opening experience. And this play brings in different elements together, text and then live music and water. Mm -hmm. It's a multimedia production. Yes, How did these different elements kind of work together, the text, the music and the water? Um, it's a funny story because um, although we were working with a script, um, this was as much of an ensemble generated process as 
if we weren't working with the script. So the script was really a jumping off point. And Demo was very, very adamant about this, that we don't treat her script as the final product. Mm -hmm. So because there was so much in between with the music, with the movement, with the dance that needed to be filled in. Um, so in a way... It really happened in the room. Which and is there are the, a lot of movements in this there, play. It's, it's, I mean, it's choreographed throughout. Yeah, all exactly. 70 minutes from beginning to end is yeah. choreographed. And choreographed not by me. Um, I want to be really clear about that. It's choreographed by the group. So my job as a director in this piece was more about really keeping the room alive and keeping it moving and um, finding the right inspiration for everyone so that it could get created. And it's when you create that environment, sort of what happens in the room ends up being larger than any one person could have imagined. And that's really what happened. So the way it came together was very, very fluid. <laughs> I mean, for the lack of a pun, um, you know, Roman Cozens, who did a lot of the music and is actually um, performs live during the show, created yeah. all of the music in the room while we were rehearsing. So there was no pre-planned music. So it was improvisation. It was very much improvisation. And then we would set it and then he would, you know, work on it more and make it into the piece it ended up being. But there's Arabic music, there's Persian music in it, there's yeah. a Turkish lullaby that yeah. gets sung. But at the same time, there is, you know, flamenco, there is uh, modern guitar music, there's country. Um, it's a very eclectic, and it was really about what was happening in the room that he responded to. So, Evren, what does ecstasy have to do with Middle East? We decisively didn't approach it politically. We made a choice, conscious choice to say, we're not going to deal with the politics of the Middle East. We're going to deal with the story and see what that does. We went through various workshop phases and this final production phase, the people who were the major collaborators were all from the Middle East. Um, Demo is Egyptian American. I'm Turkish. Um, Taranj, who's the artistic director and also acted as Jabhaturg, is from Iran. So it's a, I think that really gave us a, there was a sort of an unspoken understanding of our own experiences. And it wasn't until we really started talking about where are you from? Because that's what the play ended up being about. Where are you from? Where am I from? What does that mean? Um, and it wasn't until we really started talking about that. You know, Demos started talking about how she always gets surprised when people ask her about the pyramids because it's so weird to her that that's not in everyone's experience. Of course it's not. But for her, the vision and the smell and the sounds of the pyramids a part of our world and it's just something that is it's not political it's not cultural it's just what she understands it's a part of where she's from and as a modern american woman who was born and raised here it's something that she is now grappling with it's a very similar thing for me that's sort of what i was talking about that fountain it wasn't until i until i moved to the u.s that i realized that fountain which is two thousand years old is weird that other people don't have that experience of drinking water from a 2,000-year-old fountain. And, you know, I took Byzantine history classes. I took Ottoman history classes in the U.S. And my ex just seeing other people's um, sort of eyes widening at the stuff that I took for granted every day when I went to school really uh, opens your eyes to where you're from. And it's, and it's also important to say we were also not interested in sort of romanticizing it. It wasn't about, oh, it was so beautiful. It was really about trying to figure out where you're from and look at it in its loss for a modern person, modern American person, as much as it's 
trying to get it back. This work was created through a year-long development process with the Water Project Ensemble. This, we've been developing this play for about a year and a half yeah. now, so it's, a, it's been a really long process, and I always say that so many people have touched on this play, and Demo is a um, very unique playwright. She, is, um, she doesn't believe in working alone. Playwriting usually is a very lonesome endeavor. It's you're alone in a room and you have to make a world. Demo doesn't make a world until there are other people in the room with her. Um, and of course, she spent a lot of time writing alone, but a lot of the ideas came from the ensemble. And the ensemble changed during the various workshop processes. And it's, it's just a, such a wonderful um, process to be a part of because everyone who's in the room has a piece of the play. Mm. I, I mean, I remember um, at the earlier stages, I was actually a part of the ensemble and took part in the generative process as, a, as an actor. Um, so I was generating material, and the pipe man story, who sort of is the um, person that stands in for the man in the fable in the play, mm. his whole world sort of came out of a very short 10-second improvisational exercise I did with pipes. That's why he's called Pipe Man. However, I mean, of course, the story and the play is somewhat completely different from what I did. But at the same time, I hold that piece with me. So when I'm working on the play, um, it's just such a personal connection that you don't usually get to have as a director. As a director or as an actor, you're usually trying to figure out what the vision of the playwright was, which is very satisfying in itself. But this is a lot more about what is the vision of us? What is our vision? What are we trying to say? And how? what piece of this play is yours? so that you can stick to that and you can hold that. And um, that has been the incredible generosity of Denmo in the process of allowing that to happen and not only allowing, but really empowering people to make this play. Um, so the play, um, of course, has um, three sort of lead characters, but then there's a five-person ensemble uh, plus a musician, and they are everything. They are the water, they're the play, they tell the story. Um, and because it's a physical and visual medium, what they do tells as much of the story as what the people say. They play different faces of Mona's lover, Jack. They reenact re some of the past stories of the picture lady. They're the pipes the leaky pipes that torture Pipe Man throughout her, her, his decades and decades of faith. So uh, it's, they're really the ones that carry the story in their bodies, and it's, uh, it's a workout. <laughs> everyone, is, everyone is very sweaty by the end of this play because they're running around and doing so much, singing, moving, dancing throughout the whole play. Uh, but I think it's the best way to tell this kind of story. Because we were working with an ensemble, and because there were not just our two brains, but, um, you know, ten people's brains looking at this fable, we started very simply. We started at, what about this fable interests you? We just started there. And people talked about memory, people talked about madness, and then we just started doing improvisational exercise around those themes. From those, you know, certain things stuck out. Certain things people went, everyone in the room went, that's really interesting. And then Demo took those and started writing scenes. Um, it's just such a, and the thing about this play, which has been incredible, is as a director, I got to be, and a dramaturg, I got to be such a huge part of the writing. And Denmo, as a playwright, got to be such a huge part of the staging. So there were a lot of times we were left in the room scratching our heads going, how are we going to do this? Because what we're doing right now is not working. But at the same time, those are the kind of processes when something does work, 
it the whole room starts vibrating with this creative energy and then you just ride that wave until the next wall you hit um and it's been a um i mean it was incredible it was a real um challenge but in a fantastic way where these are the kind of artistic challenges you look for as an artist and when it happens it's so satisfying and when you're watching the show the ownership of the people who are on stage of what they're doing is so clear and the amount of fun they're having on stage is so palpable and you don't get that unless people have been involved in the generation and the real first level creativity of the piece um so it's um i think a lot of the audience sort of goes gets um sucked into that energy in a way the the experience of putting this play in front of audiences for the past 7 days has been very much that and it's been fantastic so what are you working on next um uh, well i'm actually i'm taking a bit of a break which is very good because this has been a long um and arduous process um um the next thing that I'm going to be working on is actually a one man show um at Bravo Theater Center uh with a um, spoken word artist called um Anthem Salgado um who's Filipino and it's um called Teach Me to Pray and we've just started I just got the first version of the script yesterday and I'm sort of dipping my foot in that and you know we will look for that and thank you again for so coming to KPFA and speaking with us been listening to a conversation with Evren Otskin. He's been talking with Voices of the Middle East and North Africa's producer and host Mali Herrasasan. The play Ecstasy, a water fable, has been produced by Golden Thread Productions and is running through August 16th at the Thick House in San Francisco. For tickets and more information about the play, you can go to www.goldenthread.org. This has been Open Book, Friday's edition of Cover to Cover. With Erica Bridgman at the controls, I'm Amelia Gonzalez. Thanks for listening. are listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, KPFB in Berkeley, KFCF in Fresno and online at kpfa.org. In just a minute, free speech radio news.